Welcome to the Bayside Church Weekly Message Audio Podcast, Cheltenham. What I want to share with you tonight, um, for some of you may be confirmation, you've already done the journey. For some of you, it may be information for the future that you're going to need at some point and it'll do you good. For some of you tonight, this is life and death. Uh, Because we're going to be speaking tonight about perhaps one of the most important uh, challenges we ever face in life. And um, handled well, it opens a door for a great life. Handled badly, it can destroy you. We're going to talk tonight about the, the power and the problem of forgiveness. The problem of forgiveness only becomes really evident when the experience you've had is sufficient to really fill your heart with pain. And not only with pain, but a pain that persists. It just doesn't go away. And uh, it's the problem of forgiveness when the pain that you have experienced because of what has happened to you just keeps on recycling and draws you back into the offense and the moment over and over again. You don't want it to, but it does. First thing we need to say about the issue of forgiveness is that it's an essential. Um, When you're dealing with God, you have to appreciate how much the heart of God is wrapped up in reconciliation and the forgiveness that allows restoration to take place. So much so that when Jesus taught us how to pray, he taught us a prayer that uh, is used in every generation and in many, many languages. And let's, let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Having taught us to pray that way, the only part of that prayer, and all of it could use some explanation. I'd love Jesus to run a seminar. And so just take that apart and kind of show us all the bits. I had a really good experience in 1986. For 40 minutes, Dr. Larry Lee unpacked the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for a daily experience of prayer and for years it became the pattern of my prayer and I'd get up and I'd take it piece by piece and I'd pray my way through it. The only bit that Jesus explains to us or expands is this bit. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's about as serious as it gets, because um, I do not want to die unforgiven. I don't want to die with things that I have done still uh, put to my account, because God knows everything. He knows it all. In one of the uh, 
parables in which Jesus teases this idea out. Matthew chapter 18, he tells the parable of the unforgiving servant and the, the, the short version of the unforgiving servant is that someone owes somebody a debt and he gets forgiven. He was, he's, he's about to be thrown into prison for his debt and in, in crying out for compassion, he gets released. He doesn't go to prison. But then he will not extend that same kindness uh, in a lesser extent to one of his own fellows and when the king hears about it, he puts him straight back in prison. He was out of prison and he finds himself back there again for one reason, because he would not extend what had been given to him to others. And the conclusion that Jesus draws from this parable is found in this sentence. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you Unless you forgive your brother or your sister, and here's where it gets tricky, from your heart. Um, you were sharing this before. What does it mean to say, I give with all my heart? I love you with all my heart. Well, all I know is it's more than ticking a box. That's, that's perhaps one way of um, addressing the question, what do you mean, Jesus, Unless I forgive from the heart, um, I could be doing eternal damage to my own future. Here is the problem of forgiveness. How can I know if I have truly forgiven? If it's got to be from the heart, because here's the issue, my heart still hurts. There you go. My heart still hurts. I don't want to be unforgiving, but my heart still hurts. How do I know when I have really forgiven? Because it matters. Here's a proposition that I would give you. Um, forgiveness is a decision made in the midst of pain, hurt, contradiction, loss, suffering, disappointment, and you don't fully appreciate that until you find yourself in a position where the forgiveness is not over a trivial issue. Or well, what is trivial? Trivial is the, it's the experiences I've had where forgiveness is necessary, but you'd be honest enough to say it's not a big deal. That's no, not a big deal. I didn't wake up the next day um, with sweat and, and tears and, and anguish. Um, it happened. Yeah, big deal. It's okay. I forgive you. But when the experience has been profoundly life-changing or damaging and out of it has come profound loss, profound loss, and it, it may never be able to be undone. Now, here, here is a, a, the situation where forgiveness becomes a challenge. But it's important to say this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Um, forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a disposition. It's a decision. It is a position you take. But it is made in the midst of pain and hurt and contradiction and loss and suffering and disappointment. It is vital to know that it is a decision. 
However, it is also a contested decision. In other words, you may have to fight to hold on to that decision. Um, and where the damage has been profound, it is a decision that calls for a season of healing. And healing is the outcome of successful grieving. We don't often teach people how to grieve. Um, it's kind of assumed that you just, what do you do when you grieve? I don't know. Well, I suppose you just, you, you just do it. I've never had been to a class on how to grieve. But when it comes to the issue of forgiveness, it is a decision that is going to call for a season of healing where the damage has been great. And the healing process is successfully grieving your loss. Um, experiences of grief will always play into profound issues of forgiveness. Whenever something um, that causes great loss in our life to take place, initially we find ourselves experiencing shock or numbness um, and maybe for the first little while you're not even aware of how much you've lost or how deeply you've been hurt. But then when the emotions begin to thaw, then comes the weeping and the hostility and the anger and despair and the anxiety and the loneliness and the sadness. And uh, mixed in with this, there can be depression. And if it goes on for any length of time, there can be uh, physical distress. And associated with that, there can be feelings of panic. Um, there can be experiences of guilt and if it's bad enough the inability to perform normal functions you can't even dress yourself you, know, you can't go that down the shops and you just can't think straight enough to even get behind the wheel of a car um, and grief is a significant issue um, understanding grief is really helpful when we're dealing with recovery from grief we Mate, this thing, do I need to point it anywhere particular? Someone tell me that. Do I have to point it anywhere? Because sometimes I'm pointing it and it's not happening. There we are. Here we are. Now it's gone. There we go. Sometimes people think that um, a damaging experience happens and it'll, it'll just take time. Just time, that's all. If I just give it enough time... A little down, further down the track, I'll get better tomorrow, and the day after that, I'll be a little better, and three months from now, I'll, it'll all be well. Now, that may be true if you break your leg. Um, you break your leg, and you go to see the doctor, and you say, doctor, I've had a traumatic experience. He will sit you down, and he'll wrap your leg in plaster once he's figured out what the issue is. And when you wake up tomorrow, you will experience real pain. Just because you've been tended to and whatever was necessary has been done, the pain will still be there. But if you treat yourself with kindness, week by week you will see a progression of healing and three months down the track you'll um, take off the cast and you'll get back to normal, and pretty much that's my, how it might look when you have a broken leg, but it's not how it works when you have a broken heart. 
See, broken hearts don't work like that. And when you expect that they do, it's one of the challenges of forgiveness because you then begin to ask yourself, is there something wrong with me? Um, Have I truly forgiven? Because this is what tends to happen with realistic experiences of grief. And that is that the impact of an experience throws you into a little cyclone and you, you, you seek to deal with it and you cry and you share your story and, and you get help and people love you and it seems to be getting better and you seem to be getting through it and the, the impact is lessening and then suddenly a phone call. And it's someone who never knew what happened. You're telling the story and suddenly you're back into the pain and the emotional um, roller coaster again and it all just seems to blow up and it's as bad now as it ever... And you wonder, have I, have, I, have I got any better at all or am I still as bad as I ever was? And you cry again and you cry and you have some more friends and you tell your story and uh, you start to feel a little better and then you open your diary one day and it's the anniversary of the event and, uh, the, and s- then suddenly the cyclone is going again and the stomach is churning and your heart is aching and you're back in the tears. And this is the, the danger of the broken heart because with each recurrence of the pain of an experience, it draws you back into it again and you can find yourself with the same issues of hate, hurt, disappointment. I'll never forget um, hearing the story of one of the wonderful people who came to Jesus in one of our courses at Mount Evelyn. She married when she was 18 years of age. Um, Unexpectedly pregnant, gave birth to a son, and over the next few years... A relationship that had been tumultuous before marriage just got worse and worse until about four years into the relationship. One night, she had to leave the marital home and go back to her mum and dad. And because she was the one who was the breadwinner and her father was the, her husband was the stay-at-home carer for their child, she didn't take the child with her that night. She went back to her parents' home and began to try to negotiate a separation And over the next nine months, that relationship became more and more violent to the point where it became clear that both her and her son could be harmed or dead. And at that point, she had to make a decision. And the decision she made was to withdraw after the divorce from contact with her husband, which meant he then completely cut off relationships between her and her four-year-old son. When I met her, she had not met, seen, or heard from her son in 10 years. Every birthday card had been returned. Every present had been returned unopened. She had had no contact whatsoever from her son in 10 years. And that's a grief that I've never had to deal with to wake every morning and think of my child that I am incapable of connecting with and to have that cycle up. And every birthday, you're back in it again. Every um, 
conversation that you have with someone who's, how's uh, Nathan? And then back it comes again. And it's this kind of experience that cries out for an understanding of the relationship between forgiveness and grief. Because if you don't understand it, it'll suck you back in over and over again. Healing the pain then requires some understanding. And here is what Jesus has to say. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When hurtful things have happened, the last thing we really want to do is think about it. In fact, a a very human thing is to try to just divert your thinking from your loss. You turn on the television set, you get in a noisy room, you put on your iPad, pad and, and stick uh, your buds in your ears or you go for it. You try to drown out the, the loss through activity or for, through busyness. But Jesus says, if you're going to do forgiveness successfully and, and come out the other side well, you're going to come out well. You're going to need to do the grieving process. You're going to need to do that. Blessed are those who mourn for they are the ones who shall Be comforted. Don't ignore. Don't repress. Don't try to distract yourself from your loss. You need to actually see what you've lost. You need to name it. You need to acknowledge it. And here is the skill of grieving. To take your loss to Jesus. And there with Jesus on the inside of your heart. To take the reality of your loss, your pain, the, the things that have changed that will never be the same again. What will never be recovered, it need, you need to take it to Jesus and you need to grieve or weep or do whatever it takes to hold it there until he has met you and begun to lift your vision and help you appreciate a different point of view, and a different experience of life. Jesus has to become the source of your comfort. And one of the things that can deeply help in these times is the role of music and of worship. Um, One of the things that we've used relentlessly over the years in doing ministry with wounded people is to help them connect with the kind of music that doesn't distract them from their loss, but helps them carry it to Jesus. Now, you don't want people just wallowing in self-pity. That's not what grieving is about either. Grieving is a very deliberate determination to take your loss to Jesus and hold it there with him until he begins to talk to your heart about your loss. And this is where... Perhaps one of the most extensive stories in the Bible, especially in the early chapters of the Bible, deals with one of the most challenging experiences of forgiveness that you'll ever encounter. The experience that Joseph had, a case study in forgiveness. I'm not sure if you know the story of Joseph. Um, I made it a study this year and pulled the text apart until I could begin to appreciate the family dynamics 
and understand what this young man went through. It's not easy when your dad marries two sisters in the same week. You've got to know that's got to be a recipe for some kind of family tension, especially when one of them knows that she's not loved, but she's good at having babies, and the other one knows that she is loved and she couldn't get pregnant for love or money. And so Jacob marries two sisters in the same week, Leah and Rachel, and a baby war breaks out as the unloved wife tries to make herself precious to her husband. It's fascinating that this baby war is not something that's kept in the bedroom. Um, This is so public that with every child, she names each child uh, and labels him with part of the baby war. So that when son number one is born, Reuben, which means see a son, she says, surely my husband will love me now. So what's your name, son? My name's Reuben. Well, why did your mum call you Reuben? Well, because it means surely dad will now love my mum because of me. Great. When she bears her second son, she calls him Simeon, which means he hears and said, the Lord has heard that I am not loved. Thanks, mum. Levi, the third son, she names him Attached. Now at last my husband will become attached to me, she says. She gives birth to a fourth son, calls him Praise. Well, at least this time I'll praise the Lord. He's useless. Now, the loved wife is losing the baby war. So she gets her servant involved. Her servant's named Bilhar. She trucks the girl into her husband's bedroom. He says, suffer for Jesus if I must. And next thing you know, she's pregnant. Son number five. And Rachel calls the boy Dan, which means vindicated. One point for me. The, the, uh, the maid gets pregnant again. She names the sixth son Naphtali and says, Naphtali means my struggle. Because I have struggled with my sister and won. This is not a healthy household, I want to tell you. Well, Leah realizes it's time to crank up the baby war, so she gets her maid and trucks her into her husband's bedroom. Her husband says, suffer for Jesus if I must. And now she's pregnant, and some number nine is called Issachar. God has rewarded me. His name means reward. Rewarded me for sharing my servant. She gets pregnant again. Uh, Sorry, that's Gad, good fortune. Asher, number eight, how happy I am. Then one of the boys that belongs to the unloved wife finds in the desert some mandrakes known as love berries. They were known as a, they were kind of seen as a, as a, um, an antidote for childlessness. Well, of course, Rachel would love some of those berries. So her sister bargains for a night with the husband so that her sister can get some love berries and have a go at the pregnancy thing herself. Out of that comes son number nine. He's called reward. God has rewarded me for sharing my servant. She gets pregnant again and calls him Zebulun. Honor, this time my husband 
will treat me with honor. This is a fractured family. And into this baby war, son number 11 gets born. Reuben is about 12 years old. The oldest son is about 12 years old when Joseph is born. Just how pain-filled and how aware these children are of their pecking order in the family is underlined when Joseph is making his way home and hears that his brother Esau is coming out with 400 men to meet him and Joseph fears that they might get exterminated. So he breaks his family up into three groups. Into the greatest danger, he puts the two servant wives and their four sons. Thanks, Dad, because this is the expendable part of the family. How would you feel about that? The second group is the unloved wife with her six sons. She's also somewhat expendable. And back in safety, along with himself, is the loved wife and the one son. This is a pot of trouble waiting for an opportunity to happen. Rachel eventually dies, bringing son number 12 into the world. And she is buried at Bethlehem. Then Jacob gives this boy, number 11, a a good-looking coat, and then he has a dream about everybody bowing down to him, and we have the scene set for a disaster. He goes out one day under orders from his father, wearing the coat that marks him as the favoured son, to find 10 brothers 90 kilometres from home looking after an extensive herd of cattle. As soon as they see him approaching, all the 17 years of their frustration results in an outbreak of murderous intent. And by the time Joseph sits down for dinner, surrounded by 10 of his brothers, they have planned to put him to death. They strip him and throw him down a hole. And then slave traders happen to come past and uh, one of the brothers convinces the other it would be better to sell him and make some money out of the guy. They sell him to slave traders and off to Egypt he goes in chains as a slave and a 17-year-old teenager. How does life unfold for Joseph? Well, when you track the, the, the events, he goes on a very painful trip from northern Israel all the way down to Egypt where he is sold on the block to become a slave for one of Pharaoh's officials. And for the next 11 years, he serves that man faithfully. As he grows both in his stature and in his standing in the household, the master's wife takes a fancy to him and tries to seduce the young lad And at about the age of 28, having rebuffed her and refused to get involved in a sexual relationship, which was inappropriate, she blows the whistle and cries rape. And at the age of 28, 11 years down the track, he's now in prison where he stays for the next two years. Thanks, brothers. This is a great life. He has now spent... 13 years as an alien in a foreign land, totally lost his family, his relationship with his father and his relationship with his brother. 
But there in that prison, the grace of God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. He interprets one for the baker. He interprets one for the cup holder. And as a result, the story of his ability to interpret dreams turns up in Pharaoh's court just at the time when he needs a dream interpreted. And Joseph is brought out of prison to interpret a nation-changing dream about seven years of plenty to be followed by seven years of famine. And uh, as a result, Pharaoh appoints him to be in charge of the seven years of plenty to make sure that provision is set aside. He is now 30 years of age. In his new position, having been exalted to leadership, Pharaoh gives him the daughter of one of the priests. He marries and he has two sons of his own. These people, for some reason, keep naming their kids after their struggles. His first son he calls Manasseh. It means forget. For he says, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He's now into his 30s. He hasn't been home since he was 17. He doesn't even know if they're alive or dead. He has been alone and distressed and at times in prison and in peril and falsely accused. Thank you, brothers. It's a great life that I'm living because of you. But now he's in a position of leadership. And he says, God has made me forget all my trouble. He has a second son He calls him Ephraim, which means twice fruitful. And his explanation for the name is this. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Seven years passes. He's now 37 years of age. And the seven years of plenty have come to an end. And as a result, the granaries in Egypt are stocked in every city across the land. And Pharaoh is getting rich by the day as Joseph, his chief administrator, begins to dole out grain to a starving world. Two more years down the track, that starvation has extended all the way back to Jacob and his household. And hearing that there's grain in Egypt, 39 years of age, having not been home for 22 years, who walks in the door and presents themselves in front of Joseph but the 10 brothers who sold him down the river? You talk about conflict. Has has Joseph forgiven his brothers? It's fascinating. They don't know who he is, but he knows who they are. Does he say, oh, boys, I'm doing great. Look, let's forget everything. Pain sometimes cries out for justice. It's one of the dangers of the pain in our lives. Pain cries out for justice. So he accuses them of being spies. What are you doing here? You're spies. He takes them and sticks them in prison for three days. I'll give you a taste of what prison feels like. You want prison? I'll show you prison. And now he begins to process the hurt 
from 22 years ago. More than that, actually, because he's grown up for 17 years in the middle of the tension of 10 brothers who hate his guts for being the favoured son. It's not his fault. It's not his fault that his father married two sisters on the same week and started a baby war, but he's in the middle of it. 39 years of pain. Well, he begins to reflect on the dream that he once had of his brothers bowing down to him and he begins to wonder, is is it possible that there's more going on in this experience than just the bad behaviour of my brothers? Is it possible that God is... For every one of us who have things to forgive, there's a moment where we've got to begin to ask, maybe does God want to do something in me as a result of this journey? It's not just about other people's bad behavior because all things can work together for good to those who love God. God may be wanting to do something here. He begins to suspect. He's not quite sure what to do, but um, he questions them about their family. He for well, he said, well, we do have an older father and we do have a younger son. He says, I'll tell you what. He takes one of his brothers and puts him back in prison. I won't tell you why, but it's in the text. He says to the rest, don't you come back here without bringing your younger brother. Because there's only two people in his life that have never hurt him. One is his father and the other is his younger brother. And if there's anything Jacob misses, Joseph misses the most, it's his younger brother's face. So he said, don't you come back here without your younger brother. He then puts food on their donkeys, put all the money back in the sack. That'll make them think. They'll never try to figure that one out and sends them home. He said, I can't wait till they get home and try and explain this one to dad. Well, I do get home. They do explain it to dad. He's missing a son now. He's back in prison in Egypt. And he realizes the the Pharaoh's man wants to bring my youngest son. He says to the rest of his sons, I'm not going to send him because he's the only son I have left. How would you feel about that? What kind of a son am I? Those 10 don't count. It's the younger. He's the only son I have left. This is the pain that these older brothers live with. Well, dad won't let him go, but pretty soon they run out of food and they've got to go back. He says, I can't go without the boy. Eventually he lets Benjamin go and back they come and into the presence of Joseph they come. And as soon as he sees his brother, he goes to one side and the Bible says he begins to weep. Grief is beginning to work its way. He's, he's been angry, but now grief, the loss. I lost my family, my father, my, I've lost 22 years of my life, he begins to grieve. Well, he, he plays games with them. He gets them seated at a table and puts them all exactly in their birth order. Figure that one out. Treats his younger brother with great care and respect, then loads them up with food and puts his own cup in the top of the youngest boy's sack and sends them off home and as soon as they've got out of the city limits he sends the police after them they pull up and say my master is missing his cup has anybody here taken it oh no we wouldn't do a thing like that open the sack and there it is oh lord jesus we're in trouble 
drags him back inside. Now these guys are terrified. And here is where we begin to see some of the dynamics that need to be at work in all of us when we have experienced damaging encounters that have produced great pain, but we've got to deal with it and we've got to find our way through to complete forgiveness. He brings the 12 brothers in. He says, you're all going to be my slaves. They begin to plead with him for their life. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take the youngest one and he is going to be my slave and I'll send the rest of you home. And this is where Judah makes a plea that breaks Joseph's heart. He says this, If the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy is not here, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow, and your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please, let me stay here as your slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father If the boy is not with me, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Unforgiveness is a very powerful tool at times because I know it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die, but sometimes you can really, you can damage a person through unforgiveness. You can punish people through unforgiveness. Every time they see you, you know they remember And they know it's unresolved. And I may feel sick, but you're going to feel sick too. It's the power that I have over you is unforgiveness. But now comes a dreadful truth. I'm not just injuring the guilty. I'm damaging the innocent. I'm damaging people who had nothing to do with this. And if I persist in my unforgiveness, it's not just the guilty that are being punished, but the innocent as well. And now, out of this, he breaks through to forgiveness. How can I know when I have truly forgiven? Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all the attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Compassion has to triumph. If you do not break through to not only forgiveness but also healing, it's not just you that will suffer and it is not just the torment on someone else. You're damaging innocent people. It needs to come to an end. And cease the damage. He says, he begins, to, he begins to cry and weep so loudly. Then he says this, as my father still living? But his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then he said, come close to me. You know, when you have truly forgiven, when you want the fracture to come to an end. You want it to finish. Come to me, he says. 
And when they had come close, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed. Do not be distressed. You want the pain not only for you, but you want the pain for them to come to an end as well. Do not be angry with yourselves. You know that you've broken through to forgiveness when you are also concerned for their welfare as well as your own. It was not you who sent me here, but God. One of the most important moments of breakthrough is when you realize I would never have chosen to have this happen to me. But if I will walk this out faithfully with Jesus, something wonderful will unfold for everybody. For all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. I would never have chosen this pathway. But if I will engage with Jesus and bring my loss to him and truly extend forgiveness, something of the kingdom of heaven will move into people's lives that could not have come their way in any other way. He kissed all his brothers and he wept over them. For the word of God says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't know where you are on your journey in terms of truly forgiving. There will be some here for whom this is theoretical because you've never been wounded like this. You've never been wounded badly enough to even know what we're talking about. That's okay. Put it, put it in your briefcase and save it up for the day when you do. But there are others here tonight who, who, who know only too well the cycle of pain, how it resurfaces, how it re revives and draws you back into the pain and the offence all over again. For the sake of the innocent, for the sake of the future, for the sake of what the kingdom of heaven could accomplish if you would bring your pain and your loss to Jesus, Tonight is your night to cross the line and truly forgive. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Only you know the stories in each heart sitting in this room. You know where people are up to. And it is my prayer tonight, there'll be some for whom this is critical. And before they leave this place tonight, it is my prayer that they will cross a line. Break, let compassion and the kingdom of heaven break through in Jesus' name. Now, right at the end of the message, I'm going to come back and I'll give you a little instruction for those who, who need to pray before you leave tonight. I'll come back and give you a little instruction. Thank you, brother. If you've struggled to forgive, if you've said the words, but the pain just keeps recycling, don't be surprised. What does that mean? It means I'm a bad person. That no, means you're a human being. Our hearts cry out for justice. And when you have been wounded, pain doesn't go away just because you forgive. You may need to do a little grieving. And maybe you never have grieved. Because grieving isn't just crying. It's crying with Jesus.
It's bringing your loss to Jesus. Joseph, on a number of occasions, as you read the text, went aside and wept. He wept for the years he'd lost. He wept for the disruption of his family relationships. He wept because of the humiliation and, and, and the, the anguish of having brothers who were his enemies. He wept for all of that. But there came a moment where he broke through and compassion moved him to restoration. I must forgive. If I don't forgive, my father will die in misery. If I do not forgive, the innocent are going to suffer along with the guilty. You may have come to church tonight and you have never considered how important forgiveness is in God's heart. It's his greatest desire for you is that you would receive a forgiveness that would restore you to himself. It may be that you have never actually asked for that forgiveness. That's the miracle of a night like tonight because tonight you could ask. And I want everyone to just bow their heads with me for one moment. Just give the person alongside you a little privacy. God reaches through offences every day. We offend him more ways than we can imagine. He just reaches through the offences with forgiveness. And today he wants to reach through and forgive you. If you have never said to God, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me. But tonight there's a softness in your heart and you, you know you want to. I want to pray for you. And if that's you tonight, I just want you to have the courage. Just lift your hand right where you are. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you right where you are. Okay, I'll pray for you in just a minute. I see your hand. See your hands where See your hand, sir. See yours, sir. I see your hand. Just lift your hand. I got yours up the back there with the red hat on. I got you. I see your hand, sweetheart. I see your hand here, sir. I get it. I see your hand. Here, I see that. You're saying, over here, I see that. I see that. Would you take your hand and put it on your heart? Just take it here. Because see, it's all about the heart, your heart. And I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. God hears prayer. Just say it with all the sincerity that you, you have. And here's a simple way we could pray. Heavenly Father. Why don't we all say it out loud? Help people to do this tonight. Heavenly Father, I've made so many mistakes. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Come into my life, Jesus. Change me. Teach me to trust you. Teach me to follow you. And I will honor you all the days of my life. Amen. You may have come tonight, and it's, this isn't for everybody, but it's for some. You understand what I'm talking about. You understand the cycle, the hurt. It revives. You get sucked back in again. You feel angry. You want to throw things. You want it to come to an end. It's got to come to an end. I'll never forget my friend 
who had not seen her son in 10 years when she first began to sit in a small group and told her story. And it was seven weeks down the track. Sometimes it's not easy to forgive. It took Joseph a few goes to get it right. She said one night, I am so sick of the hurt and I'm so sick of the hate. And over the next 40 minutes, we just led her down a pathway of speaking release to a husband whose divorce and violence had alienated her from her own son. And God's kindness began to heal the wounded heart. Not long after that, a miracle took place. He found her on Facebook. At least Facebook was good for something. He found her on Facebook. Her fa- his father had told him all her life, your mum's an absolute loser. She was the CEO of a $10 million company. He found her on Facebook and said, how could this be my mum? My mum's a total loser. Connected with her on Facebook. And God totally restored their relationship. Forgiveness is a miracle. The power of forgiveness is that it opens the doors of heaven. But the problem is the pain. If tonight, again, please bow your head for one moment. If the pain, you understand what I'm talking about and you need to just come and allow us to stand with you for a few moments and maybe join with you in prayer and help you to either forgive or bring the pain of your loss to Jesus. Either of those things. If you need that tonight, I want you, before you move, just say to me, Al, I need prayer. Before I go tonight, I want someone to pray with me. I want you to lift your hand. Lift your hand. That's the way. Let me see who we're talking about. Okay. Now, in just a moment, we're going to release the people. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to be down here, and there's going to be some wonderful, big-hearted people who know a lot about forgiveness to be here. And what we're going to do is we're just going to join our hearts with you, and we're going to help you across the line. We're going to help you to take some steps in forgiveness. And God will see it and say, good on you. Good on you. Well done. It's not easy, but well done. Father, tonight, for those who need prayer, I pray that as they come, your kingdom will break through and they'll begin a process that'll take all of the anguish and begin a healing encounter. And for those who deeply need to forgive tonight, help them across the line as they make a decision to forgive in Jesus' name. So you just come, once they've dismissed, you come and we'll be here and we'd love to pray with you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this weekly message audio podcast. If you'd like to listen to more messages and find out more information, check out our website at www.baysidechurch.com.au. Church has changed. Check it out.